there we go. Yeah, well, once again, if you haven't had a chance to meet me and you're visiting today, my name's Matt. I am also one of the pastors here. And as a church, we've been making our way through the book of Proverbs. We'll continue uh, down that road today. Um, as I was preparing this week, I was thinking of a conversation that I had with somebody recently. I don't remember who exactly uh, or how we got there, but our conversation turned to the topic of the internet or that tinternet, as we like to say. Uh, in this conversation, I mentioned that I can distinctly remember, and this is true, I can, I can remember the first time that I encountered somebody who described to me that the internet could be used by people to get into arguments with strangers. And it was a revelation. Um, this was before the rise of social media and its effects, but I can remember thinking, why would anyone do that? What an unusual thing to do. Uh, the idea was almost incomprehensible. I could not comprehend what would drive a person to want to waste their time in that way. It'll never catch on, I thought. Wasn't I just a poor, sweet summer child? Uh, little did I know what the future held. It turns out that there is something about the anonymity of the internet that brings out some of the worst aspects of the human race, isn't there? It brings them into the foreground. And I think most of us would agree that we're all a little bit worse off as a result of that change. Well, as we are in the book of Proverbs for the next few weeks, we come to this theme. We've been um, pulling out the various themes that kind of run horizontally through um, the individual Proverbs. Uh, we began a couple of weeks ago by looking at the theme of righteousness and wickedness. Uh, and then last week, we looked at the theme of the themes of correction and instruction. Um, and here we are, ready to go again on a very practical theme, because today we will be considering how we speak to one another. More precisely, what we're going to see in the book of Proverbs is that wisdom calls us to use our words graciously to build up others and to bring about reconciliation. Why don't we look at one example of the kind of Proverbs we are considering. Uh, Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 tells us this. It says, A soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Of course, we all know this is true. If you've got something bad to tell me, you don't want to leave me with the excuse of, it's not what you said, it's how you said it as a way of getting off the hook. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The short version of this theme is that your words matter. It turns out that how we speak is an important detail of how we conduct ourselves as those who worship the living God. Uh, the Proverbs get us to consider the powerful effect that our tongues can have in both the positive and the negative. There are numerous examples of this sort of thing where we are called to see that the way that we speak to and the way in which we speak about people can have significant outcomes in this world. The wise person knows that their words have an effect and chooses to use their words constructively and not destructively. YouTube just went out of business. We can use our mouths to make things worse, to set things on fire, to exaggerate issues, or we can use our mouths to make things better, 
to bring about healing and reconciliation and growth. No part of this stands in contradiction to what we heard last week, for example. Um, This is not a call to never speak a word of correction to someone else. Do you understand? It's not that we will never ever tell somebody that they're wrong. Rather, wisdom is calling us to avoid harsh and angry words. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Why don't we have a look at a whole bunch of examples from the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 11.12. It says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Proverbs 12.18 says, there's, there's actually there's one situation where it's entirely appropriate to belittle your neighbor. It's if he can't start the lawnmower. It's just fine. Go for it. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What a a contrast. Proverbs 15, 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. I like this one a lot. There's two together. Proverbs 17, 27, and 28 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit, you know what I mean? Like the opposite of a hot temper. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. (laughs) Which means there is hope for us all. Proverbs 18, verse 7, says, A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs 18, 13, says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And Proverbs 18, 21, if, this isn't, if, if what we've read thus far wasn't grandiose enough, important enough, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Do we feel the principle that is in mind here? The kind of speech which comes from a hasty, angry, self-righteous mouth has a way of belittling, destroying, stirring up anger, and exaggerating division. And likewise, a mouth filled with wisdom is slow to speak, careful not to belittle, and always looking for opportunities to build up and bless such a mouth is a powerful tool in the hands of our gracious God. Matters. Now, when we hear that principle, I suppose the next question that we need to ask is, how does it affect you? And I have to admit, I have two reactions. My first reaction is to think, yes, that is definitely true. I agree with my own sermon. That's good news, isn't it? It seems kind of obvious when we put it like this, that there is a wise way to use your mouth and there is an unwise way to use your mouth and the difference matters. It's important. It's not a small detail of how we live. But my next reaction is one of pain because this specific issue has been a major component of my personal growth and sanctification. Now, there's just a handful of you scattered around the room who can remember young Matt 
and you are nodding violently right now because you remember (laughs) what the Lord has done. Marvellous are his works. This theme shines a spotlight on one of my biggest flaws. It turns out that I am far from the first person for whom this has ever been a challenge. If you are like me, and when you hear these Proverbs, you realize that this is an area of growth for you, the Bible has a lot more to say to us about this. When we turn from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we find that the theme of speech is still a really big theme. Probably the most thorough treatment that it receives in the entire Bible comes to us from the letter from James. You could turn to James chapter 3 in your Bible. We'll, read, we'll be reading James for a while. James, who we believe is the brother of Jesus, the, the physical brother of Jesus, writes this letter, and in this portion of his letter, in the style of the Old Testament literature, it sounds a lot like the Proverbs, he's going to educate us about how we should speak. He's going to use the language of taming the tongue. We're going to read a big chunk. And so, heads up, um, as we read this, I want you to see that James does two things in this passage that are are worth keeping an eye out for. Um, Firstly, James is going to help us to understand the significance of this issue. He's going to help us see how big a deal it is, the way in which we use our tongue. And secondly, he is going to help us to understand the source of the problem. And both of those are helpful for our consideration, the significance and the source. See if you can pick them up as we go. We'll read from verse 1. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, can you all do me a favour? And I want you to get the page of your Bible where that verse is found and just tear it out. Let us never speak of this again. Verse 2. If I hear a tearing sound right now, I'll feel very guilty. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, meaning a part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and itself set on fire by hell. That's very encouraging. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 
They had Facebook in the ancient world. I didn't know. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Has our brother James convinced us of the size of the problem? The way in which we use our mouths matters. The misuse of the tongue is incompatible with every good goal that we have as Christians. It is contradictory to who we are and what we are on about Our entire witness can be undermined by loose speech. The way in which we speak of others has implications for our worship. Did you see that as he he explained to us? We claim to love our God. With our mouths we sing his praises. But when we use our words to destroy people who have been made in his image... It directly contradicts our worship. Isn't that just the most significant realization? The way in which we treat other people reflects our attitude toward God Himself because they are His image bearers. That applies to how you treat yourself as well, by the way. Okay, there's the significance of the problem. It matters. This is a thing which is worthy of our attention this morning. Now we get to the second part, where we ask ourselves the question, where does this destructive speech come from? What is its source? We continue reading in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We could here distinguish between 
feelings and passions. Emotions and passions. Emotions aren't a negative thing. They're, they're, they're a healthy part of the Christian life. But when we're talking about passions here, we're talking about sinful desires. Wrong desires. What's James doing here? He is inviting us to consider why, not just what. Why is it that we speak harshly to or about others? Why is it that this wisdom, which is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy, good fruits, impartiality and sincerity, why is that not the only kind of speech to ever come from our mouths? This is the very question we need to ask if we want to grow and change. Turns out that the solution to the problem of wrong speech is not going to be some simple method. It's not a to-do list. I can't give you a simple 10 steps to wholesome speech that will transform planet Earth and fix all of the problems. That's not what we're looking at here. No, it turns out that the problem goes all the way down. The speech problem is a fruit, a symptom of our heart problem. No one has put this more clearly than Jesus himself in his Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6, 50, uh, 45, where he says to us, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Some translations would say, out of the overflow of his heart. The, uh, the New Living Translation says, what you say flows from what is in your heart. Do you feel it? Speech comes from the heart. What comes out comes from what exists within. We need to know that. If you find yourself speaking to and about people in the wrong way, what you have is a window to your soul. It is not just a slip of the tongue. It is flowing from somewhere. It has a source. What is its source? As my mouth speaks, so my heart is. They're connected. Is that not a moment of realization? The way in which you speak is an insight into the condition of your heart. The constant complainer has a heart filled with dissatisfaction. The critical, harsh mouth flows from a self-righteous heart. The angry mouth speaks from self-centeredness. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. How many times have drunk people claimed that they weren't responsible for something that they said? It wasn't me, it was the drink. It's not true. Alcohol doesn't put thoughts in your head. It removes inhibitions. Drunk people say what they mean is the problem. The same problem on the internet. People on the internet don't just have a problem with misjudging tone. They think they can't be seen. And in that anonymity, their heart reveals itself. It's in us. As with all wrong speech, if it wasn't there in the heart, it would never come out. 
It is a heart problem. What comes out of you when you get squeezed? Whatever is inside of you. Final proof of this comes when we look at Jesus himself, doesn't it? He is perfection incarnate. There were, do you not think, certainly times in the life of Jesus where he had opportunity to be unnecessarily harsh with others, one might say. There were certainly times when Jesus was confrontational. He was quite willing to offer a rebuke when it was appropriate and offence when it was necessary. But despite all of the opportunities that we provided him with, never once did the God-man use his mouth for the wrong purpose. You'll never encounter that. His sufferings were greater than yours and mine, and how did he use his mouth whilst suffering? The Apostle Peter, who, who was there, describes this to us in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23 tells us of Jesus. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. One of the Gospels tells us of the the thieves on the cross, crucified on the other side of Jesus, using their last words on this earth to mock the one crucified next to them, till one of them has a heart change. And yet there is Jesus, betrayed by his own, beat up and spit on, and his mouth still speaking blessings to those around him. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. What comes out of us when we are squeezed is what is inside of us. Isn't that incredible? If you want to get a harsh word out of me, all you need to do is delay my morning cup of tea. What a different source these mouths have. It turns out that harsh speech is more than just a little problem. It is a window into our big problem. And our big problem needs a big solution. It needs a gospel solution. Which is why this is the next thing that Peter says in verse 24. He reminds us of Jesus. He himself. Who? The one who didn't exchange hatred for hatred. The one who didn't swap insults for fun and escalate. He himself, the perfect one, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It is by his wounds you have been healed. Marvelous. So what does this mean? It means... That when we find ourselves using our mouth destructively, we have a job to do as Christians. 
what we must do when we become aware that foulness is coming from our head is to stop and to speak with our Lord. Our fallen nature in that moment is pretty adept at making a lot of excuses about why you do not need to do this step. I spoke to you like that because you weren't listening to me, do you understand? Therefore, I need not reflect or repent. It's very convenient. I'm just busy. There's a lot on my plate. I didn't have time to listen. We already talked about this, and I didn't want to talk about it again. You're wasting my time. It's your fault. I'm angry with you. Any of this sound familiar? These are all from my journal. It's clearly not true. I don't keep a journal. <laughs> Journals are for nerds. Our fallen nature will make lots of excuses. But what faith does is to stop, to notice, and to prayerfully come before our God and to pray, Father, would you please show me what is happening in my heart that is causing me to speak in this way? And he will. And if there is foulness coming from your mouth, then what will follow next will be an uncomfortable realization. There is foulness in your heart that needs his grace and can have his grace. I was harsh with you because I was believing that I was more important than you is what was happening. I was impatient with you because you didn't seem to realize I'm the king and you exist to serve me. I was angry because things weren't going to plan and there is something in my heart which believes that my plan is where the security of this earth is found. Woe betide the one who ruins the plan. Throws off the emperor's groove. When I become aware of that, when I become aware of the fact that my heart is wrong, I can now bring that before the merciful throne of God and receive restoration. Father, my heart is believing things which are not true. I thank you for Jesus that he bore this sin. And in his name I pray that you would heal my heart and help me to love the right things. I am now free, having brought my flaws and my sins before my Father to consider how I might use my mouth His way. I was angry at you for wasting my time, but you are made in the image of my God and therefore you are important and I need to be patient with you. When I view you in this way, my mouth will follow my watch becomes less interesting. What wonderful good can be accomplished in this world by spirit-filled mouths? 
the repentant heart can speak and build up others and give strength to the weak. It can encourage those who are struggling to head towards perseverance. It can heal the wounded and remind them of the rich promises of God. A spirit-filled mouth can train the ignorant and in doing so bring them a lifetime of blessing as we raise others up to understand. I can use my mouth to help or to close it and to listen. I can remind you of grace which is yours through the blood of Jesus or I can invite you to receive it for the first time. I can be an agent of reconciliation and peace. I can be the place where fighting goes to die. If I want to be those things, I must first be them in reality, in my heart. And for that, I need my Jesus' help. Let's pray. Oh, our Lord and God, your, your word is a mirror. We look into it and we see ourselves more clearly than any other earthly mirror. There's no filters here, Lord. There's no distortion. There's just pure truth, lovingly and graciously presented. You show me who I am, and for this we are grateful. Father, we are not like you. You are the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in covenant faithfulness. This is what makes you holy and other and different and unique. There is only you. We are not like you. No, Father, there's a, a war in me between sin and grace. And whilst I know as a believer that grace is winning, the war continues nonetheless. Would this morning be a sanctifying day, a day which moves me closer to the image of Christ? I want to speak like him which means I need to think like Him and to love like Him. My heart loves all sorts of things, my Lord and my God. Some of them it should not love. Some of them it should love in a different order, knowing what is the highest good and what comes second. Father, it's only when my eyes are on you that I can tell the difference between those two things. And so would you move, Father, we pray, in your gracious power among us today? Would you enlighten us? Open our eyes to see. Give us understanding of the condition of our hearts. Father, would you also bless us with transformation, with healing, with growth. 
that today and every day from now on, our mouths may be redeemed and put to your good uses. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.